The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it Tuesdays here at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is back from the Windy City. He brought the wind with him back. We are loaded up. It is YouTube Tuesday. We will dissect and look at one of the uh, the more memorable games of a tough, tough 2002 season. That win down at Texas A&M on a dark and stormy night. The voice of the Huskers in 2002 was Jim Rose. Mr. Rose will be with us in one hour. We'll sit down with Jay Moore, Blackshirt Husker NFLer, also in hour two. Get Jay's take on his sit down with Eric Crouch and just some of the benefits of a, of a mini camp type setting for Nebraska football and also being able to ramp up and expedite those young kids that will need to fill major roles for Nebraska football. Excited to talk with Parker Gabriel from the Lincoln Journal Star. Parker is going to join us in 20 minutes. You're welcome to chime in at 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Find us on Twitter at Hale Varsity at ESPN Lincoln. And uh, my Twitter, Chris Schmidt, at Schmidt underscore radio, at Damon Barr. That's with two R's. So we'll uh, catch up with Parker, who was uh, part of the Zoom call uh, in a little bit. Can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. So tell me about the fam family vacation before we get into some Scott Frost thoughts from the Zoom meeting. David, what were you able to do in Chicago? Well, well, we road tripped up for a. It was my girlfriend's younger brother. He graduated from the eighth grade, so they had a big, a couple like parties with the family there in Chicago. We really just stayed at home, ate damn too well for how I'm eating uh, when I'm back here. <laughs> I went from steak and salmon every night down to my uh, my oven pizzas and my little frozen. Are you meals. a Totino's guy? I'm a Totino party pizza guy. Amen. Yes. <laughs> So steak and salmon back to Totino's. Hey man, good for you. Um, and I appreciate you not coughing on me when I when I popped my head into the studio. That's that's very considerate of you. But no, good man. The uh, the old eighth grade graduation. Uh, we threw a party for for each time junior graduated kindergarten. So it's it's impressive. Let's uh, get into some Nebraska football and uh, you know a lot to talk about with Scott Frost and uh, the coach uh, very gracious with his time to do a half hour and you, you got to love zoom calls right or or maybe not by now for many of us and there's been a few zoom meetings I've been a part of I love them I get a kick out of them and it's not 
it, it's not been an issue. Can I, I can't hear you? What or when it starts chirping? God forbid. The best part of this whole distance working slash learning is to see the hilarity that ensues, and that is no doubt either the three thousand pound labradoodle or the German named Gertie like end up on my kid's lap when he's trying to do a zoom session for either it's a project or when he was doing work for, for confirmation class, he's sitting there. And the next thing you know, here comes the big ear German shepherd that drops the, the, the squeaky ball in his lap while he's trying to, to answer and remember what the fifth commandment is. Don't ask me. Thou shalt not kill. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Look at that. No notes. Okay. So anywho, so you had the zoom meeting and all its glory today. And you know, the, the first question out of the gate here, is everybody here, right? I mean, because that's that's a deal. And, and there's a few guys that Nebraska's waiting on. You've got Journey, the, the the punter from Australia, no doubt. That is that's a process. Hoiberg's going through it with Thor and uh, and and Ivan as their international guys on the basketball side. So uh, who's here? Who's not? Who you waiting on? Here's Coach Frost to get things kicked off. There's very few. Um, you could probably count them on one hand, and I really don't want to talk about who's here and who's not. This whole time, uh, the player's safety has been our first priority. Uh, our community and state's safety is just as big a priority. And one thing we've been careful to do is not make it mandatory for anybody to do anything. So there's been uh, different phases of this and, and different times throughout where Certain families have thought their their son was uh, probably going to be safer being in Lincoln. Some other families that felt safer with having their their son at home, uh, and and we've never tried to discourage them from staying home if they want to. Uh, we're to a point where there's probably you can count on one or two hands the number of total players that aren't here. So. So far, so good with Nebraska. We'll get into to COVID testing. We'll get into the civil rights and uh, racial awareness and sensitivity and, and no doubt uh, the, the world that has changed in the last three weeks. Uh, Coach Frost commented on that. Great question by Hale Varsity's Derek Peterson. Leadership and chemistry and all that good stuff. But speaking of race... Uh, Eric Olson asked the question, you know, has a racial slur ever been used in your time, not not by Frost, but just when he's been around football as far as uh, as part of a different staff or this current staff and also the topic of speaking out. But here's Coach Frost's response to to language and, and race. Um, I would be shocked to hear that any of our coaches have ever done anything like that. I haven't been involved in every conversation that's ever happened around this building or other buildings we've been in, but that's not the type of men that, that I know that work here. Every fall camp, every single night we have team building, and usually that team building is having people come talk to our team about issues like this, uh, whether it's race, whether it's treatment of women, 
whether it's gambling and making sure our kids stay away from that. We, we try to educate our guys uh, as often as we can about all those things. Every fall camp, we're going to have one of them for sure is going to be about language in regards to that. We try to educate the kids on what language they should use and what language they shouldn't use. And, and some of those words are not welcome in our program from so, anybody. So that is Coach Frost there just on language and, and race. Uh, specifically with Nebraska players speaking out. And Nebraska's given their players the freedom to use their platform to share their voice, to promote change, to promote love, and to promote inclusion and sensitivity. More from Coach Frost here on on that green light that the kids have at Nebraska. You know, we've always, I think, been on the right side of this and letting our players have their own voice. And all I want to do is try to educate our guys uh, to use their voice in the right way. And not that doesn't mean telling them what to say. That just means to help them understand that, you know, social media is, is a valuable thing because it can spread information, but can also be dangerous. Uh, I just want our kids to understand that how they portray themselves on that is kind of, we, we call it their resume to the world, um, and to be smart about what they're putting on those things. Uh, but we've never tried to stifle our kids' voices, um, I want them to have have the outlet to to voice their opinions and say what they think, and um, we'll always uh, encourage that kind of free thinking and free speech in our program. That is Scott Frost. More on his Zoom meeting. So I haven't thought about Nebraska's situation as an advantage. Honestly, I look at at getting only two spring practices as a monstrous disadvantage. Now, that's not to say Nebraska can't and won't close the gap. It's just a big ask. Now, there are some parts of the team that are veterans. There are some parts of the team that have been together three years. There are players that, that are upperclassmen. And, and you'll hear from Coach Frost here in a little bit when it comes to the leadership side of things, which, which is good, right? But Overall, Nebraska is a development team with some really special players. But missing spring is is really not an advantage. That said, Nebraska does have an advantage with being one of the first schools to get people back on campus. So uh, even though the workouts are limited, at least they're getting to move forward with some strength training, with the ability to to be on campus and work out minimally together. Here's Coach Frost on that 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 pros and cons that they're facing as they're one of the first to be back. Yeah, I'm grateful because I think I think it is going to be a help to us to be back earlier. And we owe a thanks to a lot of people. I kind of mentioned some of our operations people and some of the coaches that have been essential personnel and been here the whole time to make sure that that we are ready to get our kids back, maybe ahead of some other people. Um, also got to thank, you know, everyone from Ted Carter to Ronnie Green to Bill Moose, even the governor and the mayor. Uh, you know, we've been careful to follow every state health guideline, every city health guideline. But a lot of those people have been very open to us pushing the envelope a little bit on allowing our kids to come back into a safe environment. So I'm, I'm grateful to those people. What's been interesting about this virus and, and everything that we've gone through with it is I think there's inherent advantages and disadvantages that have happened all through this. Um, getting your kids back to campus certainly could be an advantage, but there's schools that have had all 15 spring practices and we got two. And there's schools in our league that have had a dozen or more and we've had two. Um, certainly the recruiting 
advantage and disadvantage probably isn't tilted in our favor. Uh, you know, we have to get kids to Lincoln, Nebraska to see it because we're recruiting kids from farther away than a lot of other people. And without uh, the ability to get kids to Lincoln, uh, it's made recruiting more of a challenge for us than maybe some people uh, that are in areas with, with more recruits. So there, there's been advantages and disadvantages that were uh, probably unintentional all through this thing. And right when it started, um, I think we did a, a good job getting ahead and putting our heads together and, and trying to figure out how to solve the problem of getting our team back uh, to campus safely for them and safely for the community. And I think we're a little bit ahead of curve on that. But any advantage we get there, uh, we need because I, I don't think we've been on the right side of a couple other ones. That is Scott Frost. A few uh, more thoughts from him, Parker Gabriel, in about seven minutes. And uh, we'll have some more thoughts from Coach Frost. Uh, in this first hour with the Zoom meeting. So when it comes to to oversight and uh, the potential uh, mini camp situation that exists, that's still got to get approved, but but that could work in July where coaches can actually work with kids earlier. And that may be the way to go. That may be the the new way to to go. But, uh, you know, this is Coach Frost commenting on Nebraska's path forward here with what they will get to do as soon as there is approval by the NCAA. Yeah, I think one of the reasons we're looking at that plan is because early on in this, we started looking at four or five and six week models to return to play. And I think they've kind of been stubbornly holding on to those models, even though a lot of people are getting their kids back to campus. That being said, I am in favor of it because we missed spring ball. Missing the amount of spring practice that we did just sets you back as far as knowing X's and O's and and being able to operate as a team and having a little extra time before camp starts to get walkthroughs and get some of that done will will definitely, I think, benefit everybody that missed missed spring ball. It is going to make the scheduling of everything a little interesting uh, for us because usually you give players time off to recover before fall camp starts and you definitely don't want to give players time off during that time when we have more access to them and more ability to do things so it's going to change our scheduling model a little bit to make sure our our players are here through that but also fresh and ready to go for the long haul of season last thought here from scott frost you know what can you do to to play catch up uh, as a program and how can that mini camp session help out if this works well I might be in, we'll see how it goes this fall, but might be in favor of doing something like this every year. So we'll see if anything like that plays out. The model for what it's supposed to look like, again, hasn't been finalized yet, but there's a proposal that it would uh, be about a week and a half of 20 hours a week of access with the players that'll include non-contact walkthroughs, which again, from my standpoint, if if we can get some work done during that time, as far as the X's and O's go, we're actually going to be able to be a little easier on them in camp. You won't have as much to get installed and as as much to do. So maybe you might be able to limit the reps and just basically do enough to get them ready to, to go out and hit, uh, get used to wearing the pads and and get some live reps. But they'll probably with the added week and a half there, you don't have to be in quite as big a hurry to get a, a lot of reps run and a lot of a lot of the X's and O's in. So we'll see if that passes this week. That's the direction it looks like it's going and. Um, I think, like I said, with everybody missing some spring ball, that's some valuable time to to just catch up on the X's and O's in the scheme that we missed out on in spring. We'll uh, get caught up with Jay Moore and get his take uh, in about an hour on what that minicamp can do and, and how it's advantageous to, to young guys uh, 
in the program and you know it's going to take the older guys showing the young guys how to do what to do and the focus that's needed so on the other side of Parker Gabriel we'll get into some some of the chemistry here where Nebraska does need to catch up you've got some all-world talent at wide receiver You've got some names that you've been excited to see at running back for Nebraska football beyond Dedrick Mills. Great. Now, what can they do now? Probably just lift and run, right? What can they do in July? It sounds like potentially some walkthroughs and some meetings, get acclimated on those X's and O's and get up to speed. And then you can kind of jump into, let's go beat the hell out of each other for a few weeks. Get ready for Purdue under the lights. Not quite sure with how many people, but uh, you heard Governor Ricketts talk yesterday about phase three restrictions being eased in July, which could lead, assuming numbers and hospital numbers stay down, a phase four. And a phase four means 100% capacity for outdoor events. You and 90,000 of your closest buddies. Don't know if that's a, a reality, but that's a hope. We'll talk with Parker Gabriel next. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! That's a good question. Why do you have a picture of Just Lake Superior? Brother Scott Frost piling on Parker Gabriel's apartment. We welcome in Parker Gabriel from the Lincoln Journal Star at uh, Husker Extra PG. Parker, defend yourself. Defend your interior decor. He didn't hear a word of that, did he? Why don't we turn the music off? There we go. There we go. Why don't we punch up the buttons above the phone pot? Right. Let's let's. Parker, do you got us? What's up? Yeah, how you guys doing? <laughs> Better now. I was just jamming out there. Yeah, yeah. Your ears are bleeding, and we played the drop from Scott <laughs> Frost bl- blasting your your painting that's hanging up, and 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 I wanted I want you to defend the the decor before we get into football of your apartment, my friend. I don't. I don't think he was blasting it. I think he just took notice that I have <laughs> the best of the five Great Lakes hanging up on the wall uh, in the in the spare bedroom in our apartment. So I go up there every summer. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world, and it's uh, it's it's awesome to be on on the big lake uh, for a while in the summer. And and I was glad that Scott appreciated that. That's well done. Barker Gabriel's with us, uh, Lincoln Journal Star at Husker. Extra PGs, where you find him on Twitter. So, uh, an- another Zoom meeting for, or another meeting with the media, and this time it was done via Zoom, and we're all starved for football info. And Parker, I, I want to start with the offensive line. I know you asked that question, you know, about personnel and and the fact that Farniak sounds like he'll be headed to to right guard. So the plan is Farniak at right guard next to maybe a younger right tackle. You have Hymas at left tackle next to maybe a, another young guy at right guard. Who are some of the guys that come to mind for you? Uh, ben Hart, yeah, at right tackle. But how about left guard? Who's, uh, who's a name that, that might be young that, that could fit in there? And I know Bo Wilson's still hanging around and 
you, you had you know the the you had uh, Hymas, uh last year and Hickson and Jurgens and, and uh, Wilson and then uh, of course Farniak. Those were the five last fall. Yeah, so I think um, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, it's going to be a big time competition at left guard. I think um, I think you start with. You know, the guy who started in that spot last year was Trent Hickson, um, and he was fine. You know, he got benched at one point in the middle of the year, and then Greg Austin liked the way he responded um, coming out of that. I think that was the Minnesota game, and then and then um, liked the way he bounced back and played down the stretch after having a rough game there. Um, and then, you know, obviously you've got, you've got Bo Wilson, who's a senior, um, has played a lot, um, probably wasn't as healthy as he wanted to be last year, so... Right there, you've got two starting guards from last year that'll be in the conversation. And then Ethan Piper, you know, I mean, redshirt freshman, um, you know, bright future in the program. Um, I would guess that he's the next guy in that conversation. And I should, I mean, I don't mean next as in mm-hmm. third string. I just mean he's the, you know, he's another name in that conversation um, for that job. And then it'll be interesting. You know, I think Ben Hart, obviously, they wanted to give him a long look at right tackle. I'll be interested what they do with Brant Banks because they really like Brant Banks. Um, maybe they just, his retro freshman year, he backs up Hymas and he's there in case of emergency. Um, but, you know, I mean, if he come, if Brant Banks comes and blows the doors off early in camp, um, you know, he could force his way into that right tackle conversation too. So really interesting uh, all the way around up front. When, when you look at, what Farniok's being asked to do, and this has been talked about for a while, is is he going to move inside? You didn't get a chance to to play with that really during spring because you just had two practices. But just the, the not only the willingness for for Farniok to do that, but just uh, from a, his skill set standpoint, Parker. I mean, how do you think from a fit profile it it could be? better uh, for a guy like Farniak uh, on the interior opposed to the outside? Because I know that guys get beat off the edge, and it happens in football, but he's he's done a lot of good work at right tackle for a long time at Nebraska. Yeah, he has. And I think, you know, the thing, and, 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 and Matt is a very uh, smart guy, and he's, he's always uh, open and willing to talk with us. And he said last year, you know, he said it was before the Ohio State game, and he said, you know, I am excited to face Chase Young because what I'm the the weakness of my game, or not the strength of my game, Mm -hmm. is edge rushers, and I want to see how I measure up there. And you know, Chase Young got the best of them, like he got the best of pretty much everybody he lined up across. And and but I think it's interesting because you know people have said for a long time, and I've I've agreed more or less, and and I think this coaching staff has felt for a long time that. Farniak could maximize his strengths and be protected a little bit um, from the weaknesses in his game by sliding inside and playing guard. Um, I thought it was interesting that Frost today talked about the right side. Um, you know, they had toyed with the idea of putting him on the left and having a senior duo with Hymas at left tackle, Farniak at left guard. But at right guard, there's got a couple things going for him. One, the footwork is a lot easier. Uh, to transition from right tackle to right guard because you're still on the right side of the offensive line. And then the other part of that is with less time to sift through your options and less reps to get a guy like Bryce Bennett because of the way the offseason's gone, putting Matt Forniak at right guard 
makes it easier for him to just slide back out to tackle if they need for him to do that, which is something that, that Frost mentioned today on the call. Parker Gabriel's with us, Lincoln Journal Star, Hale Varsity Radio, uh, recapping part of Frost's Zoom call and uh, talking O-line. Parker, what's what's a fair expectation, you know, assuming we get football and it looks like that's going to happen, uh, for this O-line and this quarterback, there's parts of which have been together now for three years, and this could be the most experienced line Nebraska's had in quite a while. Yeah, I think expectations um, are, are pretty high up front. Um, it's interesting because the, the offensive line is going to be really experienced. The tight end room is going to be really experienced, even though they'll be you know, working in at least one new new body, although he's a, a junior and Travis Vokalek, uh, the rector's transfer, uh, who sat out last year. So, you know, you've got, there's three spots, offensive line, tight end, quarterback, where there's a lot of experience. Um, they have a senior running back in Dedrick Mills. Um, but the bulk of the running back room, or at least the options behind Dedrick Mills, um, are all inexperienced in the wide receiver room, obviously, is going to look a lot different. So um, it's going to be, you know, I think the, the more any team can run the ball, the better off they are. Mm-hmm. Just that's, if you can run the ball, you know, you can, you can work with that and you can build off of that. I think it's going to be important for Nebraska, maybe especially early in the year, if they can establish the run and they can, and they can impose their will uh, on teams in the first half of the season, you allow more time and more experience to build, uh, especially in that wide receiver room and the rapport between the quarterbacks and the receivers and all of that. You know, if that, if that is, if they're in a place where that doesn't have to be razor sharp uh, week one, I think that would go a long way toward, um, you know, sort of building it up as the season goes along. Barker, uh, a thought with the, the West division, we talked to Coach DiNardo last week, and he's like, look, the, the West isn't the best division, but it's probably the most balanced when you, balanced when you look at uh, kind of the surprise Illinois was last year and, and how they got better. Purdue, uh, very injured, but you know what weapons they have. Minnesota wowed everybody 11-2. and two. Iowa, darn, darn talented. And then there's Wisconsin that's just – they're a machine. They reload, and they're expected to reload again. Any any word trickling down on you know the the quarterback battle there? I know we've uh, got our own quarterback challenge to to think about with Martinez and and McCaffrey, but Wisconsin's a team to beat, right? They have uh, Mertz and, and and Cohen. How how tight of a race do you do you hear that may be moving forward? Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, a close one, and I think it's, um, you know, it's a little bit different than than uh, what's going on at, at uh, Nebraska, but it's not altogether different in the sense that, you know, you've got a guy at Wisconsin in, in Jack Cohn who has one one year of eligibility left. Obviously, Adrian Martinez, the the entrenched starter here, has has more than that. But at Wisconsin with Cohn, you've got. You know, you think there's room for him to take another step, um, and then you've got a guy who's just, you know, seriously talented in Graham Mertz behind him. And so uh, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, it's a, 
it's going to take a big run, I think, from Mertz, and, and I don't know, obviously, a ton about it, but mm-hmm. I, my sense is that Cone played well enough a year ago that it's going to take a big run from Mertz to really unseat him as the uh, bona fide week-in, week-out starter. But I do think that um, that is, that, that, that's a pretty serious uh, security blanket, right? If, if Cone underperforms or, or if there's an injury or anything like that, um, they have a guy who they feel really good about that they can go to, and there's some other guys in that conversation that have have you know played well or that I think that they trust up there in Madison. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. They're, they have a lot of questions to answer. Um, you know, running back obviously, uh, who's going to play quarterback? They lost a lot at wide receiver, especially with Cephas declaring a year early for the NFL. Um, so there are a lot of questions, but I think. You know, it's sort of just like we were talking about a little bit ago. If you can hang your head on the offensive line on offense, you can build the rest of it and figure out things that work. And that's what uh, Wisconsin, by and large, has done for the past decade. And that's where you feel like Nebraska is trending, and uh, it's just a matter of how quickly they get there. We'll find out if it's this year or or not. Parker got less than a minute, so uh, real quick. With the talent that's coming in at wide receiver, do you think they can fast track uh, and make up some of the time missed this spring? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, so most of the newcomers, they can't, they're not in those voluntary workouts yet. And Frost confirmed that today. That's mm-hmm. what we thought. Um, it's, it's, there's a transition period, but because it's not a normal summer contact period, um, they're really just, they can work out on their own. They can be on campus. They're taking classes remotely, obviously, but it's all about seven on seven guys playing on their own, doing their own thing right now. Um, and then that mini camp into fall camp is going to be really important. That's when those, all those five newcomers, uh, that's when that, that chemistry is going to have to be built pretty quickly. Parker, good to get caught up, man. Uh, I love that lake. <laughs> get up there if you can. <laughs> right. and it's the best one. Get some sunshine, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for a few minutes today, man. Yep, excuse me. All right, buddy. There is Parker Gabriel, Lincoln Journal star at Husker Extra PG on Twitter. We'll have a little bit more on uh, Scott Frost, his Zoom session with the media. Uh, YouTube Tuesday coming up here at 5.05 with Jim Rose and uh, Jay Moore on the way with Hale Varsity. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back to you, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. More from Scott Frost coming up shortly. Let's get into uh, Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State, his star running back, and the joint video that was put out yesterday. That was, <laughs> well, that was necessary because you can't have your your two thousand yard rusher in in Chubba Hubbard upset, irate, and deservedly so, based on Gundy's T shirt. So he'll resume his football activities after tweeting Monday. He will not be doing anything with Oklahoma State till things change. You had the Oklahoma State school president come out. You had the athletic director come out, and they weren't in support of Gundy. They didn't say Gundy by by name, but Gundy did touch on the fact in light of the of today's tweet with the T-shirt that I was wearing. I met with some players and realized it was very 
it was a very sensitive issue with what's going on in today's society. And so we had a great meeting. I was made aware of the things that players feel like can be made our can be can make our organization, our culture even better at Oklahoma State. I'm looking forward to making some changes. And it starts with me up top. And uh, we've got good days ahead. So, hey, great. You had communication. And, and, and Chubba is like, look, you know, I, he apologized for, for going off on Twitter versus going to his coach directly. That's always, you want to hear it from somebody first before you hear it or see it somewhere else. Paul Feinbaum, uh, of course, had a thought here uh, about uh, whether or not Gundy should be whacked for wearing an OAN T-shirt. Here's the first part of Feinbaum. I thought the wrong person apologized. Uh, Chubb was just expressing his, his frustration with his head coach in the middle uh, of a major national and international crisis wearing a T-shirt uh, of a network that I must admit I've never seen, but I've read enough about. And, and a commentator on that network recently said that Black Lives Matter is a farce. So I can understand the frustration uh, of players. What I can understand is why Mike Gundy uh, has been allowed to continue to coach at Oklahoma State. This is not his first rodeo. This is not the first time he has embarrassed, if not humiliated, that university. And I think the sooner that Oklahoma State gets rid of Mike Gundy, the better it's going to be for that school, and especially the players who who go out there every Saturday and give their, their blood, sweat, and tears for that university. So there you go. One of the most powerful voices in college football questioning why Gundy still has a job. And I will tell you why, because he's brought that program to heights they'd never seen before uh, the Barry Sanders era. And if you remember after the Barry Sanders era, uh, Oklahoma State was on probation for like four years, banned from TV for two, banned from bowl games for two. I mean, Oklahoma State's been a... I'm not excusing his decision-making. Gundy doesn't think. Gundy just does Gundy and his mullet that he waters and feeds daily. That's what he is. He's a man and he's 40. He uh, makes fart sounds during uh, press conferences on on Twitter, people, on trolls. <laughs> so I, I get a kick out of his honesty. But in, in lieu of the last three weeks and just the frustration that is real in this world that's not the shirt i'm wearing to the lake to be photographed and put up on on facebook gundy's right to 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 watch whatever news he wants just know that some of his players may question who they're playing for this is the same guy that they've signed up to play for more from feinbaum Please continue with that thought. I, I, that's the only follow-up question I can think of is, why do you believe all the things you just said, Paul? Because I find them fascinating. Because I have watched Mike Gundy over the years. I mean, the only meaningful thing he has contributed uh, to Oklahoma State during his uh, tenure there of 15 years is doing the I'm, I'm 40 and I'm a man uh, 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 video a couple of years ago, that uh, 10 years ago, that went viral. Other than that, he has not been that great of a coach. He's 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma, uh, the University of Oklahoma. Try going 2-13 and 13 against your rival and continuing as a head coach. But that's not really the issue here. The, the issue is his insensitivity. Uh, he humiliated the school two months ago when he laughed off uh, COVID-19. Basically, so let's bring the players back. There's too much money at stake here. Um, and, and he has not changed that at all. He continues to embarrass this school every time he opens his mouth. Listen, I don't think he gets fired. 
You're not going to find someone better than Gundy to go to Oklahoma State. That's the bottom line. Does he embarrass the program? Does he not think all the time? Yeah. Should he be more mature as being a 15-year veteran as a head coach there? Yeah. But he kind of gets to do whatever the hell he wants, typically. I mean, aside from a little twist with uh, with the, the late Boone Pickens, I mean, things are all right. Gundy made it okay. His players are okay. And you move forward. I, I think it's extreme to call for his firing. And, yeah, I know he's 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma. That isn't good. Most people aren't real good against Oklahoma in the last 15 years either. So, and he had to follow Les Miles. I mean, that Les Miles was really, really good down there. So, you just kind of on your box and screaming. Feinbaum's not wrong in the insensitivity, but he's wrong, in my opinion, with the fact that you know, what's, what's Gundy done? Well, Gundy's got him to 9-4 and four and ranked most years. They've not had a 5-7 and seven in a long, long time. Let's get back to Frost here. Let's squeeze in a couple more thoughts from his Zoom meeting. Let's get into chemistry here. And we, we talked a lot about fast tracking here. And what can you do at those skill spots? We talked to Parker Gabriel a little bit about it. And I think Nebraska may be okay it's not a guarantee. It's not a slam dunk. But I think Nebraska may be okay with the fact that they've got some super high-level guys in place. Uh, they're, they're that naturally gifted and talented to ease in. It's not an easy transition, but there's enough you can feed them, so to speak, to get them on the field and have them go do their thing. Uh, defense has still got to stop and, and defend a guy like Omar Manning. they still got to stop. Uh, a guy like Betts. They still got to stop a guy uh, like uh, some of the slot guys, like like a Will Nixon. I mean, there, there is God-given athleticism that good luck trying to defend. Here's Coach Frost. Yeah, that's going to be a challenge for us. Um, we got some guys coming back that I feel good about that are healthy and, and looking, uh, from what I hear, better than, than they have in the past. But uh, there's a couple positions on our team where we're not going to be veteran and we're going to be counting on some some new players and skill on offense is certainly has a possibility of being one of those positions. Um, I think that little bit of access and time with our players uh, prior to fall camp starting uh, could be a benefit to us. Coach Lubick's going to have to earn his money. Uh, Coach Hell, guys like that that are, are going to have to try to fast track some of those guys when we are able to to meet with them and and work with them to try to get some of those young guys ready to be players for us. So yeah. The, uh, the the skill position coaches, and you got two really talented coaches, and Lubick and Held. Uh, leadership has been very key. We don't have time. Damon Barr putting the velvet hammer down. He says, no, we don't have time to hear about leadership and culture and how it's in a good spot. You'll hear that shortly on Hale Varsity Radio, Hour 1. As uh, YouTube Tuesday is 15 minutes away, Nebraska A&M 2 The comeback, down 17. Jamal, Jamal Lord and company on a dark and stormy night. Jim Rose will be with us. More from Coach Frost, his Zoom meeting as we wind down Hour 1 with Hale Varsity. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. 
Back with you, winding down Hour 1, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And uh, Damon Barr in today. Chris Schmidt, hope you're doing all right. We will run down Jay Moore coming up here. Excited to get caught up with him. So, uh, let's uh, wrap up here on Scott Frost's Zoom conference call. Personnel is going to be key. We've touched on it. And the move of 40 to right guard, presumably Ben Hart at right tackle, and then the battle for left guard next to Hymas. Here's Coach Frost. Being around the team, the little that I have, I think this is the first time we feel like uh, the team culture is, is where we want it. And it can always get better, but I feel really good about where we are as a football team right now and the, the type of people we have on our team. Our leadership on our football team has been invaluable through this time because without complete access to our players, a lot of stuff has to be led by them and organized by them. Really through the challenge of this, uh, I've seen that leadership grow. Coach Duvall's seen that leadership grow. Nebraskans all know about Unity Council. Uh, we have basically have that started. We have a leadership group on the team that's uh, helped our operations guys and our weight guys handle a lot of the things that need to get handled, a lot of the communication that needs to get handled. Um, so that's a pretty big group right now, and there's guys on it from every position, certainly the offensive linemen in that group, Cam Jurgens and Farniak and Hymas are a big part of it. I've been really impressed with the leadership in our defensive backfield from Deontay and DiCaprio. The tight ends have done a good job. I mean, going across the board, I think our leadership is going to be a lot stronger this year than it's been. And in some ways, uh, the challenge of this virus has brought our team together. I feel like through adversity, uh, our team's probably tighter than it's been since I've been in Nebraska. So that was the comment on, on player leadership and where they're at and how it's worked during this pandemic and guys have stepped up to uh, to make it something better than than it's been uh, per coach frost uh, do we have time for for cut 15 yep this is uh frost's response to Derek Peterson's question what he's learned during this time when it comes to civil rights and and uh, the racial tensions no no we don't <clears throat> all right we'll get to that next hour so uh, just a couple more thoughts here from Frost uh, next hour, specifically uh, the personnel. That, that offensive line could be real nice for Nebraska. The topic of testing and, you know, what's the right frequency of tests? How often do you test? Coach Frost will comment on that. And, of course, the young quarterbacks, uh, so very key. You've got Smothers. You've got McCaffrey. And you've got Adrian Martinez that wants to have a bounce back season. How has the, uh, the 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 quarterback room been able to? What have they been able to handle uh, without much going on and and no spring practice? So, and then of course the the civil rights commentary and uh, the message of equality by Scott Frost. All that next hour, Jay Moore will be with us. He'll sit down with Eric Crouch. We'll get uh, Moore's take for sure on on mini camps and, you know, that that offensive line spot. YouTube Tuesday next. We'll revisit A&M 02, Nebraska, the comeback. Jim Rose joins us on the way. 
Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back in hour two, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery YouTube Tuesday. Tuesday is back, and we welcome in Hall of Famer and uh, tremendous part of Nebraska football. Jim Rose is with us. Jim, thanks so much for a few minutes. How's your day? Good, Chris. Nice to talk to you. It is uh, wonderful to, to catch up with you. And, and during the pandemic, we've been doing YouTube Tuesdays. So we'll talk to a player, coach, or a part of uh, a part of Nebraska football that, you know what, uh, has a memorable game. We spent some time with Spencer Long last week with uh, the Ohio State comeback in 2011. One of the comebacks I remember vividly, and I heard you doing the play-by-play on it. It was like I was there, man. It was so well done. Thank Thank you. Texas A&M, 2002. What a season 2002 was, uh, but man, A&M was a bright spot. What do you remember? Just the climate leading up, Nebraska was un-Nebraska-like in 02. Well, we were in a little bit of a transition, and I think we all figured out what that transition was um, in the latter stages of some of the veteran assistants' tenures at Nebraska. They really kind of took their foot off the accelerator in recruiting, and we just did not have enough depth to be able to get through a season at the standard to which we'd all sort of grown accustomed. Uh, so 2002 is sort of a manifestation of that, uh, and we ran into some teams that were on the rise, uh, Iowa State being among them that year. Penn State had roared back to life after a bad 2001. Of course, Texas and Texas A&M were very, very good, and Colorado was in the throes of a good run, too. So all of those things sort of combined for, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it was kind of a rough season. Uh, we just didn't have the playmakers up and down the roster that we needed to. But that particular game, things sort of came together for us. It was it was a fun trip. Uh, it was for me. I had a chance to meet President Bush, George H. W. Bush. Oh wow! Was there? His library is actually on the campus of Texas A and M, and he came to all the football games. So, uh, you know, at that time he was in really good health and he loved spending time at the library. It's not like next door to Houston, but it's not a long drive. And, of course, the Secret Service would bring him up to the library because whenever the Aggies would play at home, you're looking at 85,000 people that may not necessarily live there. So they would spend some of their day, especially if it was a night game, they'd spend some of their day at the George H.W. Bush Museum, and the president wanted to be there for him. So he was there, and he came to the game, and I was down on the sidelines before the game, and here's President Bush, uh, and he was so nice. And, yeah, there was plenty of Secret Service detail. I mean, no Hanyak like Jim Rose is going to get up to give a bear hug to the president. Um, but I did introduce myself, and, uh, and he said hello. And um, he said, I can't wish you good luck tonight because I want the Aggies to win. But it sure is nice seeing some people from Nebraska because he carried Nebraska twice in presidential elections, which was cool. Um, But we didn't play very well. Uh, And there were a couple of factors in that game. The first one being we were missing two offensive linemen for most of the game. Wes Cody and Richie Incognito were both injured. Uh, And, of course, our best defensive player at the time, Chris Kelsey, who turned out to be 
for my money, Chris, one of the more underrated players in Nebraska's last 50 years. Chris was an outstanding football player. Uh, he was our best defensive player, and he was missing with a torn hamstring. So we were a little understaffed on a team that didn't have a ton of depth to begin with. But we put it together in the second half, and Jamal Lord had a big second-half run on the ball, and we were able to overcome a 17-point deficit and win. What do you remember about the atmosphere and just you mentioned 80,000 plus down there in uh, in A&M, the wrecking crew, the run defense. You had some some talented guys in in Jamal Lord and David Horn that really took over. But the defense really had an incredible second half. Did you, at a point, Jim, think that this thing's over once it was uh, 17-point bolts? I was concerned because I wasn't sure that Nebraska was going to be able to pass the ball to win the game. Uh, the last score, I believe, for AM was a long fumble recovery return for a score. That was about two-thirds of the way through the third quarter. Uh, but the Nebraska option game was clicking that night. And you're right, AM had an outstanding run defense that year. They were number one in the Big 12 against the rush. They were number five nationally against the rush. They only had given up about 75 or 80 yards per game on the ground. So most of us figured it's going to be hard to run on these guys, especially if two of our starting offensive linemen are not going to play. So we better come up with some crazy ideas offensively to win this. And it was a rainy night. It was it was kind of cold. It rained all day there. Uh, it wasn't a pouring rain, but it rained off and on, and it was misty and just sort of soggy for the whole game because it was a night game. And I just wasn't sure we had the bullets to be able to shoot and win that game that night. But, you know, Jamal and, you know, the offensive line knew because you don't see the option very much. You certainly didn't see it in the Big 12 in those days. That, you know, if they could just keep banging away and start executing with the option game, that they'd be able to make some plays. And Jamal had a huge day running the football. They just said, you know what, we're going to run the option, and if they stop the option, great. Now, we did turn the ball over inside our 10-yard line, which led to one of their scores when Darren Diedrich bobbled a pitch. But after that, we were pretty good with the football. Uh, And David Horn came in, replaced Diedrich, who'd really – it's funny because Darren was a good back, but he frankly had outgrown the position. He was too big. He he had lost a step. He really should have been a linebacker, which I believe he played in in college or in the pros mm. up in Canada. But Horn was a much faster back. Horn could get to the edge. He was a freshman from Omaha Central. And the two of them really started clicking in the option game. Uh, and Lord would read the defensive end brilliantly, and if he clapped, he'd pitch it to Horn. If not, he'd keep the ball. And Jamal carried the ball 30 times that night, most of them in the second half. So they essentially said, you know what, um, we're not going to throw the ball downfield against these guys. That was not Lord's game, but he's a big, tough, rugged guy who had a lot of physical qualities you want in a running quarterback. And A&M just could not stop the option. They just simply were not ready for it. They, they bit on every single fake and every single pitch play. Their corners were playing off our 
pitch guy. So why not? And there was plenty of time. Uh, the the score was 31 to 14, like I said, about two-thirds of the way through the third quarter. So as long as we stopped making mistakes, we were good. Jim Rose with us, and we're talking A&M Nebraska 2002. It's YouTube Tuesday, Hail Varsity Radio. I, I really like what you're saying, and I think of that roster, and I, there's a lot of guys that ended up getting a, a look either at the NFL or the CFL. Uh, I think you're a thousand percent on about Diedrich. He was not as fast as he was even that freshman year that you saw him in in 99 or 2000, uh, you know, early in his career. And I think your your nails with Kelsey, how good a how good a ball player he was, how tough a player he was. And I remember him gutting out uh, the end of that 2 season where, where he forced himself to play, even though Man, you're trying to go on just pretty much one leg. Yeah. What uh, What was the morale like leading in to the A&M game post-Oklahoma State? Because Nebraska hadn't lost to, to Oklahoma State or down in Stillwater for a thousand years. years. Yeah, forever. Uh, yeah, a lot of streaks were coming to an end back in those days, and the Oklahoma State game was one of them. Uh, that was in a rain-drenched game in Stillwater the week before. And then you had a game at home against Texas oh, the following yeah. week. So you're looking at the potential of a three-game losing streak here, uh, and that means a losing season, a real good shot at a losing season because we still had to play at K-State and we still had Colorado. And even though K-State wasn't having a particularly good year, um, they were better, uh, and they had a little bit more material in the game was at Manhattan. So things were looking kind of grim. Um, And yet, you mentioned the defense. Actually, that's true, because if you look at how the defense played, and I think it was their best game of the year, you might say, well, wait a minute, 31 points, what are you talking about? Well, (laughs) you know, one of the scores was a 66-yard fumble recovery and return, scoop and and score. The other score was set up on a punt block, and then the other score for them was set up on uh, a fumbled pitch inside our 10-yard line. So really, the offense was responsible for three of those scores. Uh, So the Blackshirts played really well that night. I mean, they played hard. They got after it. Um, Pat Ricketts had a particularly great game. Uh, This is a walk-on DB from from Millard, who actually began his career at the U.S. Army. He was, a, he was a cadet to West Point and then walked on at Nebraska and started for two years in 2002 and 2003. He's the cousin of the governor, Pete Ricketts, and uh, the nephew of Joe Ricketts, the founder of TD Ameritrade. Pat's a terrific person. He's a, a tremendous professional today. He was a really good football player, super smart, and he had a great game. He intercepted a pass. I think he had 10 or 15 tackles in the game. And I was really proud of him. He played very, very well. Uh, and so we had a couple of guys like that step up. Uh, Philip Bland made an interception late in the game when they had driven to our nine-yard line with a chance to tie the game or maybe take the, uh, the lead with a two-point conversion. So it was not a particularly good year for the Blackshirts. They got drilled at Penn State. They had no answer for Seneca Wallace and for Iowa State that year. Uh, they didn't play particularly well against against Texas. They couldn't get to Chris Sims, and he had a really nice night against us. Uh, and, of course, the Colorado game. They struggled against Colorado. But that night, uh, the Blackshirts played super well, and uh, they should have been really proud of their performance. A couple more minutes. It's YouTube Tuesday. Jim Rose with us, uh, reliving Nebraska A&M 02, the other monster comeback for Nebraska. Uh, 
Jim, uh, what do you remember about the post game, your interactions with Coach Solich and, and some of the team members, and then the trip home? They were very, very happy. I remember Ron Brown in the locker room said, everybody loves a great comeback story. <laughs> and then somebody said, let's do this more often. Uh, Jamal was was battered. Uh, he, he was happy, but he was battered. Frank was obviously happy. Bill Byrne came down to the locker room, and he was pleased because um, it was a rough season for us. Uh, and, you know, Jamal Lord is an interesting character in the history of Nebraska football, Chris, because he really wasn't supposed to be a quarterback for us. Uh, he was a very talented athlete out of Bayonne, New Jersey, uh, and was recruited for multiple purposes. But I think they always forecast him as a linebacker. And he would have been a great linebacker, in my opinion. He would have been very, very good because he was so tough, you know. But we just did not get the quarterback to replace Eric Crouch. Uh, they tried hard for Seneca Wallace. He was the guy they wanted. He was a JUCO, and he would have been great for Nebraska. I believe that, that 2002 would have been a very different season if Seneca Wallace had been our quarterback. Um, and you saw what he did against us in 2001. He played very, very well for those two years. It would have been nice to have him redshirt him in 2001, then have him for 2002, 2003, and then who knows, because Alan Everidge was coming in later. Um, but, you know, Jamal was not a great quarterback, per se. He was a very productive football player. He was a tough runner. He worked hard. But his quarterback skills were not as good as other skills. Mm-hmm. So um, we really suffered, I think, just from a lack of depth at a lot of key positions. Uh, and that became fairly obvious in 2002. Uh, things were better in 2003. Things were on the uptick in 2003. But the recruiting classes of 2001, 99, 2001, 2000, 2001, just did not produce the depth that you got to have if you're going to keep Nebraska in the top ten, not with that schedule. And the coming of other teams in the Big Ten, Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma State was on the rise. Les Miles was there, and, and he had built that program through Texas recruiting. Uh, clearly, Texas was a national contender. Colorado was a top ten program. Kansas State was extremely competitive. Missouri was finally turning the corner uh, under uh, Gary Pinkle. And Iowa State suddenly became very competitive, and they were recruiting good players, guys that we wanted, like Nick Leaders. You know, I mean, this is this is the kind of kid that would be a star in Nebraska, but he had family ties and opted for Iowa State. So it's, it's not so much that Nebraska was taking a super step back, uh, but everybody else was taking a step forward, and we were taking a little bit of a step back, and it showed on the field. Jim, a a thought uh, as we look towards the 2020, I know you still follow Nebraska football. Uh, Optimistic uh, about uh, increased numbers in Memorial Stadium. Optimistic about uh, year three of Coach Frost. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, I've been impressed with Scott's demeanor in the off season. Uh, I think he's had a very, very productive off season himself. I think his self reflection uh, has been healthy. I think he has looked at the world a little differently than maybe he did when he was at his introductory news conference. I think he has a full appreciation for number one, the competitiveness of the Big Ten West. And number two, the challenge that Nebraska faces. Uh, it's probably a little more dramatically different than he thought it would be. Uh, 
and I think he realizes, okay, I need to adjust in many different ways. And the first one is that you know, he needs to probably slow down with the, uh, here's what's going to happen with us, look out. Mm-hmm. He's not that way anymore because he's seen how much more competitive the rest of the Big Ten is. And I like the chip-on-the-shoulder approach, as I think most Nebraskans do. But I've been very impressed with Scott's offseason and very, very impressed with some of the things that he has done. Uh, he's made staff moves that I'm sure were not really easy for him. Uh, he has shifted into places that I didn't think necessarily he was comfortable shifting into, but he knows he needs to. So that'll be exciting. It's going to be a tough year record-wise. If you look at that schedule, both in 2020 and 2021, there aren't a lot of breaks. Uh, and you know, Cincinnati's a good football team. Uh, they are a quality program, one of the better run-pass option uh QBs in the FCS division, if not somebody who could probably play at the uh, at the FBS Power Five uh, division level, no doubt. It's going to be tough. That opener against Purdue, I think, Chris, is just a super huge game. If Nebraska can win that one, that's a huge step forward. You drop that one, you're already 0-1 in the Big Ten uh, with a lot of tough Big Ten opponents to go. But I'm optimistic because I think he's flipped the roster, and everybody's a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, and there's a few more of them. Jim Rose, YouTube Tuesday. Jim, I uh, would love to do this again. Thanks for a few minutes, man. Great to get caught up. Anytime, Chris. Thank you, and have a great day to you and the listeners. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut preteen Swedish boy. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We say hi to Jay Moore, Blackshirt Husker NFLer, host of the Moore To It podcast on Hail Varsity, co-host of Big Red Wrap Up at Jay Moore Forty Four with Twitter. Jaybird, what do you know? How are you? I'm doing good, Benny. It's uh, you know it's hot and windy outside. It's Tuesday. Um, everything that you know, podcast is going good. So it's uh, there's no complaints here. Yeah. Glad to be on you talking about football today. No, I can't wait to talk some football. Pretty good sit down with Coach Frost in the Zoom meeting earlier today and some more insight and info. Get your reaction to a couple of topics on that. But uh, I always love chatting with uh, Eric Crouch when he's been on with us. You had a chance to, to sit down for an extended period with the Heisman winner and kind of give folks, if, if for some reason they've not uh, logged on or downloaded the podcast, uh, just an overview, man. How was, the, how was the chat with Mr. Heisman? It was good. You know, we just kind of just went back in time. We, you know, talked about his time at Miller North and running that, you know, you want to call it triple option, wishbone, beer type scheme that, you know, that they still run the other day with uh, Petito and then kind of, trans, you know, get into his time when he got here at Nebraska and you know, he wasn't able to wear seven right away because Scott Frost was wearing seven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was given 11. And, um, you know, talking about going against that scout team in 97, or he was running the scout team in 97. And once he came back from a, a couple little injuries and, you know, going against Jason Peter and Grant Wistrom and, you know, Jay Foreman and, you know, that great defense in 97. And, you know, we kind of transitioned into, um, you know, his, his competition with Bobby Newcomb. I mean, that might have been one of the all-time – greatest QB competitions in, you know, Nebraska football history, um, you know, and just talking about that and how Bobby kind of gets an injury, and he said he just was never quite the same coming back from it, and, you know, he's able to play in 11 games his, his redshirt freshman year and start eight of them, and then, you know, transitions into 99 to where Eric Crouch was the last QB that won a 
conference championship at Nebraska. You know, so you know, talk about the '99 season a little bit and transfer in 2000, how how good they were. But you know, they kind of they trip up against you know OU down in Norman, and obviously OU was really good. They won the national championship, but they're up 14 nothing on them, and you know, we just kind of went through you know the time frame there and and. and uh, just his time spent in Nebraska and obviously won the Heisman and, and we talk about the Colorado game a little bit and just how just, you know we both agreed this program uh, hasn't really recovered since that loss um, um, and just you know him winning the Heisman you know just a few weeks later and you know he was so upset about losing to Colorado you know he really wasn't even worrying about you know if he had a chance at winning it you know it was one of the closest you know, closest Heisman races in history with him and Ken Dorsey and, you know, Air, you know, Harrington out of Oregon. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm missing a couple other guys in there. But, uh, you know, in transitioning, you know, his professional career, going to the Rams as a, as a wide receiver and, you know, and everyone else's story, he leaves and gives back a signing bonus and um, it kind of plays all, you know, Green Bay and then Kansas City and then bounces around, you know, does the NFL Europe and goes up to Canada to play. And, and I played with him for a season up with, the, you know, at UFL with the Nighthawks. And that's where I really got to know him. And, you know, it just kind of went through our timeline, just told full of fun stories. And um, he kind of broke down the, you know, the play against Oklahoma, the, you know, Black 41 reverse pass, whatever, and how it was thrown out of the game plan because it was so it was, it was performed so badly in practice. He didn't think they're ever going to run it, and then they do. And then Mike Sons drops a dime and they win the football game. And Eric Crouch wins the Heisman. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of funny to hear some of those great stories. And he's he's such a good dude, and um, you know, so gracious to take you know an hour out of his day on a Friday morning where you know he could be out you know working on his own successful business and Crouch Recreation. And um, but he was you know that's that's what's so great about this place is you know each you know other players look out for other players and. Um, the family, and he was, you know, was more than more than helpful to sit down with me for an hour on a Friday morning and, and discuss his time frame in Nebraska and discuss his, his professional career, and um, and that's that's why Eric Crouch is one of the you know best dudes around. Jay Moore's with us. His podcast, more to it. His recent sit down, Eric Crouch. Crouch is still. I mean, he's he's a stand-up dude. He's pretty hard on himself, and he doesn't live in the past. But when, when topics come up, I mean, he's very real with uh, that 2000 season, just how good they were. And, I mean, I was at that OU game uh, with kind of a, a radio road trip, actually. So, I mean, they, they had that, and then it just went the other way. I mean, that offense got hot for Oklahoma. And then even the K State game later down, where it was just a just a tight, tight ball game. Is it fair to say that he thinks he should have had one, maybe two titles uh, as a starter, not beyond conference? I'm talking national. They were they were that level. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, for sure. I think so. You know, we didn't really get into that. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, he's pretty hard on himself about you know the Norman game and in 2000 and down at OU and obviously get him to 14 nothing lead and. You know, he says he throws a pick six, and you know he was—you could tell in his, just in his tone—he's just like he just was, he's gutted about that. And, um, yeah, it's just I mean, they were preseason number one in 2000. Yeah, you know, just coming off the conference championship in '99, and I mean they were loaded. I mean they were so good. I the, mean, old li- the old line was, I mean, was insane. He, oh, it's O line. I mean the defense, Kyle Vanderbosch. You know Chris Kelsey was was uh, you know young, and he used to be Carlos Polk and. Mm. You know, you just go, you just go down the list of, you know, Steve Warren, and you know, you just go down the list. I mean, how good they were. Mm. 
um, offensively and defensively. It just slipped up a couple times, and in you know the Big Twelve was really good in that time frame. And you know, you, there's one game you're you know you're still in the conference championship, but unfortunately, I lost two. Um, well, and think of the think of the road schedule that year too, man. You're at Notre Dame, you're yeah. at Oklahoma, you're at K State. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's you know he is. I mean, all all good players are always harder on themselves. They take they take the losses harder. Um, they, you know, all great players are, are take the blame. And you know, he said he you know he could have done a better job. And he said even in the Colorado game, he said I needed a better job of being a better leader in that situation and um, trying to get things you know squared away. And he just he says I could have done better. And he just he did it. And, you know, he he owns it. And so that's what that's what the great ones do. I mean, they're they're able to call their mistakes and. And own up to them, and not blame others, mm. as we so like to do today in this in this day and age. Is always it's never our fault; it's someone else's fault. Um, that's never the case with, with EC. You know, he, he owns it. So, um, I mean, the guy was phenomenal. I mean, you know, let's be honest; one of the you know the best quarterback to do it at Nebraska. So, I mean, only quarterback ever to win Heisman at Nebraska. So, um, and one of the few running quarterbacks to ever win a Heisman. Period. Mm. Um, I think him and like Davey O'Brien, you know, I think he said in the podcast were one of the few mobile quarterbacks to do. I, you know, you might want to throw Johnny Manziel in there, but uh, but no, he's it was it was fun. It was a treat. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to listen to it, obviously go to you know iTunes or Spotify and, and download it, and, and it's good. You know, it's 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 a good one. And uh, like I said, it's. More to come, more good ones to come, but you know this was this was one of my favorites. Jay Moore's with us. More to it podcast. Jay Moore, uh, of course, black shirt Husker NFLer at Jay Moore forty four on Twitter. Jay, uh, a lot of topics hit on by Coach Frost today in his Zoom call. But when it comes to to fast tracking guys and, and making up for lost time, can you do that? And is it easier to do outside of the lines of scrimmage? What's your take on this? Just as you know, just with kind of the condensed schedule and just kind of <laughs> as far as that goes, getting ready for the season, like yeah, yeah. It, I, I tell you what, it's it's. I sat down with you know the next podcast that I'm coming out with is going to be with with Kevin Kugler, and mm-hmm. we kind of towards the end of it we discussed like what does you know we kind of discussed the Big Ten. He goes, this may be the most interesting college football season in all times because no one really knows what to expect because everyone's in the same boat. You know, everybody, you know, some places are able to start, some places aren't, you know, it's just in, in the Big Ten, he's like, other than Ohio State, you know, the QB situation is kind of, you know, it's kind of wide open, you know, for a lot of places, you know, and, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's so, it's so interesting to see what every program's going to deal with, how they're going to deal with it, you know, they're, every state's different what they're allowed to do or what, you know, what they can do, so it's just, I think here um, it will be. I think I think they're gonna be able to handle it. It helps, you know, that you're going to the third year of the offense. You have a quarterback in his third year. Um, you have, you know, uh, the strength of your team in the offensive line, which is awesome. Love this. Love that. Um, I, I I don't I don't foresee too many issues. I mean, yeah, you're gonna have to try to bring in some young some young bucks. You know that. You know, replace the JD Spillman, and you know you're gonna have the Wandell to step up. You're gonna have that Omar Manning come in and and step up, and and you know prove that all the hype that he's worth. And maybe a guy like Xavier Betts comes in and then you know get some get some reps and play early. But 
you know, it's 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 wide open. It, and the, just you know, if you want to speak to the Big Ten in general, it's it's extremely wide open. So I, I think you know it, the schedule is definitely not in favor of Nebraska this year. But overall, I mean, every I think this really the situation we're dealing with. I think it really does level the playing field a little bit. But um, I still like Nebraska. You know, there's I still like the way they sit and. Let's be honest. You got a really good O line. You got a third year quarterback. More than not, that's that's a recipe for success. Um, offensively, now defensively, different story. You lose three starters across the line. You know, a lot of you know, other than Ben Stilley and maybe one other guy, you, you're just you don't know what you got um, with consistency. So, but it's time for the offense to kind of pick it up and kind of get to where they need to get. You know, and. And the defense can kind of maybe just hang on and, and get some stops, get some turnovers, and see what happens. But it's it's crazy the the, the situation we're all in. I think it really does level it out. It's, I just I'm just you know can't wait to see what it's going to look like come you know early September. A few more minutes with Jay Moore on the other side. Some uh, some additional thoughts on the Zoom meeting. A lot of frost talk today. Good stuff from Parker Gabriel, Jim Rose with the YouTube Tuesday. Looking back at A&M 02, Nebraska's uh, monstrous comeback. Uh, some thoughts from Gundy as he is out with a, a another apology and video uh, in response to some of the backlash he faced yesterday. want to remind you about drinking and driving. One out of three fatal crashes involves an impaired driver, drunk driving, buzz driving, or high driving, never acceptable law enforcement officers working around the clock to stop it with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. As a driver, make the correct choice of a non-alcoholic drinker. Have that pre-selected designated driver. Be smart. Start the conversation. Who's driving home? Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr, Hour 2 as uh, some more with Jay Moore, Blackshirt Husker NFLer. Comments from Mike Gundy and uh, a thought on civil rights from Scott Frost before we say goodbye. Hail Varsity continues. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Jay Moore is with us, Hail Varsity Radio. Jay, uh, you know, with this model that's out, it looks like a, a mini camp type setup is is the reality where okay you're finally going to get a chance to work with kids can do some potential you know walk through work and then do some meetings and then get to a a padded ramp up to to kick off against purdue how did that work and did you like that adjustment for you with the nfl because i mean you guys had to jack with mini, with mini camps OTAs, you know, once you, you left Nebraska going to the Niners and in your different stops in the NFL, was that helpful to, to do it more kind of regimented versus an all at once like your time at Nebraska where, where I mean, you, it was 24-7, don't get me wrong for you, but I'm saying when, when you had to be there, the college model versus the NFL model where there is a mini camp. Yeah, it, it really helps um, young players. Um, it helps bring along your young guys. I mean, I mean, there's a reason why you always see a lot of veterans, you know, and, and the good veterans are kind of contract disputes. Say, hey, you're not going to see me until, you know, potential training camp or they hold out because they don't, I mean, let's be honest, they don't need it. I mean, they, 
you know, some of those players are so good and so gifted and so talented that they can, you know, as long as they're staying in shape and, and doing everything, they're, they're, they're going to show up and, and, you know, their roster spots damn near guaranteed. So, but it, it benefits, you know, your, your young players. I, um, I was a player that needed the reps, that needed the walkthroughs, that needed to see it moving. I couldn't really, I couldn't sit there and have you diagram it on a on a whiteboard and and have it break down. I'm like, okay, I somewhat understand it, but you got to get out there and see. You know, as, as a defensive guy, you got to see the, the motions and the shifts and the checks and everything like that. So you got to see all that and communicate it, and you know. So this is gonna be great. I love it. I, I honestly wish they would. Maybe they could instill this more. But I guarantee you the coaches are gonna love it because you get a little more time with your players. And I just think all players are so much better doing it this way. So I, I think it's gonna benefit not only Nebraska, but you know everyone um, across the country that they're able to get out there on the field. I mean, that football is meant to be. You know, you're you're you gotta get out there and. And, and play between you know 52 yards and, and a 100 yard field, so it's it's going to be good. I, and I think you know all, all programs will benefit, but I know for myself, I would extremely benefit from this in college. Um, and I'll, you know, even though they're going into their third year, it's again, it's going to benefit the young guys that come in. You're just not kind of thrown into training camp. And say, all right, here you go. You know, let's see what we can do. It's like no, you have you've spent two three weeks. You know, maybe get some seven-on-seven seven reps. You know, walking through it. You're getting your spacing. You're getting your communication. You're getting your checks. You're getting your eyes right. Um, you just get more comfortable with it. So then, once you kind of get ramped up, um, the learning curve is, lots, is, is shrunken down, and you're able to kind of go full throttle. So that's it's a good thing, in my opinion. Last thought: How's the golf game? <laughs> oh, it's a it's a constant. It's a it's a work in progress. It it always is. Just trying to get ready for state uh, match play. It's uh, Hillcrest Country Club next week, and um, got one last practice round in today out here, and um, just trying to get ready. Got to, got to keep it hit it straight, keep it in between the trees, and if you get in the trees, get yourself out, and hopefully get up and down, and just got to make some putts out here. So, um, getting ready for that. So that's the next event, but uh, yeah, but it's always, always, always a work in progress, Smitty. Always is. Well, at least it's know. not windy for you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, you know, it's always fun playing in a, you know, the downwind holes are great. Uh-huh. Well, in 20 to 30, a downwind, but the end of the wind, those are, uh, yeah, those are crap shoots sometimes. So, so, so you're only but, ro- um, you're only rocking at 290 instead of 330. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. Jay, we'll, uh, we'll get caught up again, brother. Thanks for a few. Yeah, be got it, Smitty. Thanks, bud. Gotta love Jay Moore, man. Good stuff. And I loved his take on the minicamp side of things from from an NFL perspective. We'll uh, get that up on SoundCloud for you for uh, some of our two-minute drill. This uh, from Coach Gundy a little bit earlier today. You saw the the, the group video yesterday with him and uh, his star tailback. Uh, but more from Gundy here, about a minute of, of, of apology with the I'm I'm sorry for for what my T-shirt the the pain it caused I, I, I he was oblivious to it not an excuse but he's trying to fix it. I had a great meeting with our team today. Our players expressed their feelings as individuals and as team members. They helped me see through their eyes how the T-shirt affected their hearts. 
Once I learned how that network felt about Black Lives Matter, I was disgusted and knew it was completely unacceptable to me. I want to apologize to all members of our team, former players, and their families for the pain and discomfort that has been caused over the last two days. Black lives matter to me. Our players matter to me. These meetings with our team have been eye-opening and will result in positive changes for Oklahoma State football. I sincerely hope the Oklahoma State family near and far will accept my humble apology as we move forward. So again, I'm sorry from Gundy. Team will move forward. We'll see. This was Scott Frost with his Zoom call. He was asked by Derek Peterson what he's learned through the civil rights movement recently and the uh, events in this country the last few weeks. I think it's given us all an opportunity to examine some of the things that we thought we knew but might might be naive to. You know, anytime something something like this happens and there's strong feelings throughout the country and and something despicable like that happens. I I think his priority is to make sure that our players are all treated equally, that our players all feel safe in this building, that we're a team that treats everybody the same, regardless of where they come from or what they look like. And it has made me feel good about the environment we have here, talking to some of our players. Said this maybe one other time, but I think sometimes uh, football players can be shielded from some of the issues that other people have because within these walls, it's real easy to just be teammates. And uh, I am proud of the fact that talking to a lot of our guys that they don't feel none of our players feel discriminated against or uh, or feel like those issues exist in the building. I shouldn't say none. The ones I've talked to have all given me really positive answers on that. But again, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. Um, I think it's hard to have some of those issues on a football team uh, because a football team gives you an environment for people of all different races and and backgrounds to come together and learn about each other and see the good in in one another and work together. And and so football teams, honestly, are kind of an example of uh, that. I think a lot of other people could follow. And and we need to be an example because of, of our influence here at Nebraska football. And we'll try to be. But the best way that I know how to do that is to continue to try to provide an environment within these walls where everybody feels safe and equal. Pretty good message there from Scott Frost. Thoughtful comments from Nebraska's head coach. We will get to quarterbacks. <laughs> Promise you. A lot to, to cover today. Touched on chemistry, leadership, advantage, yay or nay for Nebraska. I'd say there are some advantages, but overall missing spring balls. A steeper hill to climb, not that they can't do it. And also the topic of players' voices. So we'll wind down a Tuesday with Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. So I am off to defend... Like I had anything to do with it. I stayed out of the way. But the um, the Pinnacle Bank Championship Media golf outing is tomorrow. 
at Indian Creek. We are there to defend our title tomorrow. It'll be a little bit more difficult to defend said title with no Jay Moore tomorrow. (laughs) But we have the bat phone out to bring in a replacement. We have that confirmation. All he wants is copious amounts of Jack Daniels. We'll make it work. Damon, you and Elijah driving the boat tomorrow. You excited? Always am. Yeah, you're like, stay the (laughs) hell out of here, old man. Leave us alone. So, yeah, Brad Edwards going to be with you. Shuey tomorrow. And I don't know who you guys are wanting or lining up for the 4 o'clock hour. I'll let you two figure it out. So, good enough. Uh, The Pirate coming on Thursday. So, Leach will be with us Thursday. Uh, Schweitzer's back from vacation. So, uh, Nebraska's newest commit going to be with us on Thursday. And uh, Loaded Show, we are are efforting a, a Jake Cotton siding for Friday. Last thought here from Coach Frost and Zoom. This is about the young quarterbacks and... You have guys like Smothers and McCaffrey, and you saw a, you saw enough of McCaffrey to go like, damn, that kid's really good, and good for Nebraska to have him. You know what steps can those young quarterbacks take now, since they didn't have spring football? I mean, you got Adrian that that will no doubt, from an urgency standpoint, get after it. But it's nice to have options. Even though you lost a, a talent like Noah Vedral, here's coach. I don't have any worries or concerns about Luke, to be honest with you. He's one of the hardest working kids on our team. He spends all his time on football. He's going to be ready. All the reports I'm getting is that he's he's whipping the ground really good and throwing better than anybody's ever seen him throw. I feel real confident about him. Obviously, with Logan being new and enrolling early, missing those spring practices wasn't ideal for him either. We'll get him caught up. You know, we were sad to see Noah Vedral leave, but I, I feel great about those three kids and some of the ones behind them. And that is going to allow us the opportunity to, to focus the repetitions in, in fall camp on the, the three guys and, you know, Matt Masker and, and others as well. So I think they'll get plenty of reps in fall and, and we'll get Logan caught up. Okay, so get the podcast rolling as soon as uh, the show ends. That'll be up on HailVarsity.com. It'll be available on iTunes. And the interviews are sit down with Jim Rose, our chat with Jay Moore, and a talk and O-line with Parker Gabriel. All going to be up on ESPN Lincoln On Demand. That's where you go, the ESPN Lincoln website. Want to check that out, do so. And, uh, of course, iTunes and uh, HailVarsity.com is where you go for the podcast. Damon, what are you doing tonight? I am off to spend uh, the night with my little brother. Just going to hang out with him, play some video games at a parent's house while they're out and about. Aha. Uh-huh. So house party at Damon's. <laughs> exactly. How old's your little brother? He's uh, seven. <laughs> wow. It's a little early to get him started, but I'm not here to judge. We'll talk to you tomorrow at four on Hale City.